listener, just a heads up that on this episode, you'll hear me mention sexual assault briefly. If you're not ready to hear that, skip this one and come back next week. Hi, you're a human living in 2022, so you get what's going on here on Earth, right? Okay, let me elaborate. Constant change, your name is COVID. We've been through lockdowns, sacrifices, masks, layoffs, racial reckoning, Nazis again, somehow. We've feared for our lives. Many of us have experienced loss we never expected. Many of us have seen loved ones on ventilators. We've wiped our groceries with bleach. We put off having kids. We had kids and then had to go back to work right next to said kid with inadequate solutions for childcare. I think that list does a good job of telling the story that it's been two challenging years to be alive on planet Earth. And so this shared trauma led to more and more people experiencing re-emerging, worsened, or totally new mental health issues. Personally, I had just started seeing a new therapist right before the lockdowns. I remember our last in-person session right before screens came between us. I didn't think I'd continue. I remember saying it would be just two weeks and we'd be back in person. Cut to our sessions in April, May, and June of 2020. I talk about the stress over the shifts we had to make as a business so quickly. I'd cry about the first fund of the PPP drying up. I'd work through the stress I felt around keeping my team together. I cried in therapy so that I could keep it together the rest of the time. And I am so grateful that I started before COVID. This is Gina Anderson Cohen, by the way, founder and CEO of A Sweat Life, coming at you for another episode of We Got Goals. This is the start of a deep dive into mental health with experts from startups, therapy practices, and the creators of apps. We know that it's harder to feel like a balanced human in 2022, but how hard exactly? According to NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five U.S. adults experienced mental illness in 2022, and one in 20 experienced serious mental illness. And with the backdrop of the pandemic, the need for mental health tools, care, and therapy soared. According to the New York Times, as more Americans felt the squeeze of stress, anxiety, and depression, and more, there simply weren't enough therapists to meet the demand. Regardless of all of that, 48% of Americans have sought some form of mental health treatment in the past year, according to the American Psychological Association. So we're starting this deep dive into mental health with someone who can help us think about the spectrum of tools for your mental health. If you can't get into a one-on-one -on -one session with a therapist, maybe a group is right for you. If you're not ready for a group, maybe there's an app that can help. Our guest this week is Dr. Jamie Goldstein, a licensed clinical psychologist, author, and emotional fitness instructor at COA. I've taken her emotional fitness for leaders class and paid for it with my own money, guys, so this is not SponCon. She's an incredible person who can create space for adult humans to learn and grow together. And COA is a gym for mental health, offering therapist-led emotional fitness classes and personalized therapy matches all grounded in community, which you know we love at A Sweat Life. Koa's mission is to make working on your emotional health as visible and accessible as it is to work on your physical health. You'll hear us speak to how to find a therapist, how to get the most out of your sessions, and how to work on your mental health even when you're not in crisis. And here I am with Dr. Jamie Goldstein. 
This is Gina Anderson-Cohen here with Dr. Jamie Goldstein, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, author, and emotional fitness instructor at COA. Dr. Jamie, I'm going to continue to call you Dr. Jamie forever. Can you please just tell us a little bit more about you and about COA and why emotional fitness matters? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here with you. So I, like you said, I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And one of the big things, two of the big things I do at COA is I am the therapy matchmaker. So when folks are looking to find the right therapist for them, I'm your girl. I got you covered in making that happen. I am also an emotional fitness instructor. So that means that I lead COA's emotional fitness classes. So folks might be wondering, well, what are you talking about? What is COA? COA is a gym for mental health. And really what that means is we are on a mission to make working on mental health and emotional fitness as modern, as proactive, as integrated into a daily life practice as we know that it is to work on our physical fitness. And so we do this by offering these group emotional fitness classes. We offer Q&As to our communities. We offer, like I said, that one-on-one personalized therapy matching for folks who are looking to do a deeper dive. And really all of this is grounded and rooted in community. We know that we all have our work to do, but that work on ourselves it deepens and it solidifies when we do it in community with other people who are also doing the work. I love that. And and this is actually the kickoff, the start of a month-long deep dive on a Sweat Lives podcast. We got goals all about mental health. We want to cover this month the spectrum of, of tools, of reasons you might seek help, um, of ways that you can kind of tap in um, to self-care and mental health all the time, no matter what you're going through. So we thought that you and COA would be an excellent way to kick this off. Uh, I would love... Dr. Jamie, to chat first and foremost about what the seven traits of emotional fitness are. I know I learned a bit about it um, through the COA class I took with you. I didn't come to every session and that's my fault for scheduling poorly, but I have learned so much with you. So let's, let's dig in. What are they? Why do they matter? Yes. So if we want to start here, I, I want to kind of give folks a sense of this idea of emotional fitness and what the heck that even is before we get into what the traits of emotional fitness are. Because emotional fitness is kind of this newer idea, this newer concept about understanding mental health as a proactive and ongoing process of strengthening our emotional fitness, meaning we're building the internal tools that we need to face those inevitable ups and downs and challenges of life. And so we do that by building these seven traits of emotional fitness. And the seven traits, they actually came from research that COA did with um, psychologists, with entrepreneurs. We wanted to know, well, what would it look like to be an emotionally fit person, right? What are the gauges? What are the markers? How would I know if I was in conversation with someone who is an emotionally fit person? And what we found is emotionally fit people have these seven traits that they engage in. And those seven traits are self-awareness, empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, play, resilience, and communication. And all seven of these traits, you can think about them as muscles that you can build, that you can strengthen just like every other muscle in the body. So if you think about it, when we build up our physical strength, if we're talking about our physical body, when we build up our physical strength, we are so much better at being able to navigate the physical tasks 
of daily life. Things, if you think about it, like carrying groceries or climbing upstairs or getting down on the ground to play with your kids. And a foundation of physical fitness, not only does it help us in those everyday tasks, it also helps us in recovering from really tough physical challenges, right? So colds and flus or broken bones, things like that. And the same is actually true of our emotional fitness. So having a strong emotional foundation, building up those seven muscles that I just named, it allows us to navigate the emotional tasks of everyday life, like interacting with our coworkers, our kids, our family, dating, um, understanding our relationships to ourselves. And when we have this foundation as well, we're better at facing those bigger challenges like breakups, like loss, like navigating life transitions and changes. If we're transitioning to a new job, those bigger things we are better able to engage in because we have that muscle memory to tap into. Yeah. I I think that's a really good start to, um, to chat a bit about what Co's offerings are, because I think what they represent to our listener, even if let's say, dear listener, you don't choose to find a therapist or do a group class with COA, the offerings themselves also give you a good glimpse at like how you could go about, um, sort of building your own toolkit for mental health. So it's kind of like easy, medium, hard <laughs> for, for COA. You have the groups um, so people can kind of engage with one another. You have the one-on-one therapy and you sort of have these, these Q and A's. Um, I put them in the wrong order, but let, let's talk about like how you, how you sort of phase those and how people engage um, with different elements of mental health and self-care with COA and outside of COA. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when we think about mental health and health care in general, what it means to care for ourselves, oftentimes there's this really reactive story, right? Like we don't engage in caring for ourselves or working on our emotional fitness unless we're falling apart, right? It's like, it's like waiting. We talk about it like waiting to do cardio, Um, And, you know, waiting until you have a heart attack to do some cardio or waiting to um, change your diet, um, you know, waiting until you have diabetes right, to change your diet, things like that. And so mental health, too, is kind of this reactive thing and taking emotional fitness and making it a proactive approach. There's so many ways that we can proactively do this work and build these muscles. So our Q&As or our introduction classes are a great way to get started. If you're like, I'm not totally sure. I've never done this before. You can think about it kind of like when you walk into a gym and you have someone like give you a little gym tour. You have someone who can say like, this is this section. These are this machines. This is what you would use this for. So you're getting kind of a tour and a sense of, okay, these are really what these traits of emotional fitness are. You can think about them like different muscle groups. This is how I might think about working out some of these muscle groups. Maybe I can integrate some of this into a regular practice for me. Um, Then once we're ready to kind of dive in and get going in this way, yes, we have those group classes. If you think about group workout classes, right? Physical workout classes, the group class, it gives you a community to not be alone in, whether that is Zumba, whether that is a weightlifting class, whether that is a spin class, whatever it is, you're working out these muscles with an expert guide. So all of our classes are therapist led. So while they're not group therapy, 
they are a therapeutic experience. You have an expert leading you and giving you insight. If you imagine taking a yoga class and the yoga teacher walking around that yoga class and helping you improve your form, right? Or try this out or try that out or tweak that a little bit as you're actively practicing in class. That's what our therapist instructors offer in a class experience. And you're practicing it in the moment. So what happens when you show up to an emotional fitness workout class for any one of these traits, self-awareness, curiosity, mindfulness, whatever it is, we're introducing you to a concept, to an idea of this is how we think about mindfulness. For example, the COA definition of mindfulness is actually getting more comfortable being uncomfortable. Because if we think about mindfulness, right, the umbrella term of mindfulness is a present moment awareness. And more often than not, if we're pulled out of the present moment, there might be something about that present moment that's a little bit uncomfortable to us. So we introduce you to the idea, gain a little bit of insight there, and then we actively practice what it means to flex mindfulness, to get more comfortable, being a little bit uncomfortable in the moment in community. And in that practice, you can have this therapist instructor say, okay, I love how you're doing this here. And maybe we might think about it this way as well, so that you're tweaking and learning. And then these classes were also, so this is kind of that next layer, that, that heavier lift, let's say, if you're wanting to really deep dive, our classes were created to work in conjunction with individual therapy. So maybe you're thinking about starting therapy. Maybe you already have your own therapy practice and you're thinking, oh, okay, this thing I was talking about with my therapist this week, I'm going to bring this in to my self-awareness class. And that's the problem that I'm going to work through and chew on in community with other people. Or, whoa, I learned about those three J's, jealous, jump, and join in my self-awareness class. It brought some stuff up and I am taking that to my therapy session this week to look at it a little more closely. So there's all sorts of ways that we can be on this path and start to develop our own tailored emotional fitness regimen for ourselves. I love it. I, I think one of the things that's been really, I mean, I don't want to call it fun to watch because, because I think we've, we've all needed access to mental health tools and therapists more during COVID. Um, fun to watch the tools emerge. Let's say that. Um, but let's, let's say you're starting therapy for the very first time. I know Dr. Jamie, you are an expert therapist matchmaker, but let's say you don't have a Dr. Jamie matchmaking you with a therapist. How do you go about kind of knowing what to look for? What can you kind of have in your control for finding a therapist? Can, how can you interview a therapist? How do you quit a therapist? That's a lot of questions. Let's start with how do you find a therapist and know that they're a fit? When it comes to finding the right therapist for you, there are, you know, certain, this is also true of finding the right therapist instructor for you, right? Everyone has um, their go-to person who they love taking this person's classes because their energy, their presence, how they feel seen and heard and witnessed all syncs up for them. So when it comes to finding the right therapist for you, there's a couple of things that are important to think about and understand. One is I always level set expectation with folks and let them know that usually finding the right person for us, it doesn't feel like love at first sight. We want it to feel that way. It's a relationship that you're building up and we need to give those relationships some time to grow. There's a getting to know you process here. Um, and so with that, what I often encourage folks to think about 
is when they engage in oftentimes therapists do, you know, a 15, 20 minute initial chat. So you can get a feel and a vibe for them. And when you're engaged in that chat, if you're noticing yourself having the experience of, you know, I'm kind of curious. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm kind of curious. I wonder where this can go. That being a really lovely indicator of, yeah, let me see if this is a relationship that I can build up on. Because in an initial 15, 20 minute chat, we're not meant to deep dive into all of our deepest, darkest secrets. It's actually, I use a, a scuba diving analogy is you're not going straight to the ocean floor immediately. That's not going to be good for anybody, right? So you kind of build it up, you go down a level, you equalize you go down a level, you equalize. And this is true of our emotional experience. There's so many layers, there's so much depth and there's so much complexity that we wanna make sure we have enough safety built up with someone that we can go down into those places. So if you're curious and you're like, hmm, okay, I'm, I wonder where this can go. It's a nice indicator to give it a try and see what you can build up with that person. The other thing that I really suggest to folks is oftentimes people come to therapy wanting the hows. How can I do this? How can I change this? How can I fix this, right? What can I do? We really want to do stuff, right? What can I do right here, right now? Homework. What I let, homework. Yes, <laughs> homework. We all People love homework. The interesting thing in my experience over the years in my own practice is usually when I give patients homework, the homework doesn't end up getting done. So this was a number of years ago. I've stopped giving homework. Because what we find when people come to therapy isn't that they want to know what to do. Usually people know what to do to care for themselves or, or how to, you know, I know how to journal. I know how to open up, you know, a meditation app and listen to it. But people want to understand why am I not doing these things? What is this actually about? Why am I showing up in this way and moving through the world this way? So rather than focusing on the hows, I really invite people to think about the therapy process on exploring the what's and the why's. What is this actually about for me? Why am I engaging in this way? Why am I reacting in this way? Because coming from that place and that lens of this deeper self-understanding that is where the biggest impact is, right? This is why any sort of emotional fitness practice is meant to be ongoing. It's not meant to be a one and done the same way, you know, you don't go on a run or go to a dance class and you're like, cool, tight, did it, like never have to move my body ever again. No, we got to do it on a regular basis and in a regular cadence to actually get what we're wanting out of it, which is change and growth and evolution. I I had a big aha, honestly, as you were talking about going deeper and equalizing, going deeper and equalizing. Um, and I'm going to share a personal story here. Uh, so when I first um, started seeking therapy, I went because I had gone through a sexual assault and I had never gotten therapy for that. So I found a therapist and dove right into it immediately, felt completely uncomfortable um, with, with sharing that topic because we hadn't really gotten to know each other. So I quit that therapist and found a new one. And I it took a year to actually dig into that topic, but we talked about all of the other stuff sort of surrounding the trauma first. And by the time we got to it, I was ready. Um, so as you were saying that, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense, Dr. Jamie. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I so a, appreciate you sharing that. It's yeah. real. I would love if that wasn't a real thing that folks yeah. experience and, and one of those um, traumas that people can relate to in so many ways. You know, trauma mm-hmm. is one of those things. And I am I, happy to see it start to get a, a little bit more light shined on it is that it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing that we shy away from, but that oftentimes capital T trauma, lowercase T trauma, there's a whole trauma spectrum that, you know, we can dive into and talk about, but really what we're talking about is these experiences that impact us in such significant ways that they inform how we engage with the world after they've happened. And when something has impacted us really significantly, we want to treat it with as much weightiness as it deserves in the Mm. sense of, you know, if we slam right into it, we're not honoring, wait a second, this was like pretty significant and impactful for me. And we want to understand all, like you said, all of the other stuff around it. And, and so I, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing the very real thing that I've seen happen as well is if that safety, if that relationship, if that setup doesn't happen because we're, we're moving too quickly and listen, I get the desire to move quickly. Things are uncomfortable. We want to change. Yeah. We (laughs) want to change how we feel. We want to fix it. We want to problem solve, right. All Mm -hmm. of the doing, um, that when we move too quickly, we miss some really important stuff. And so when we move too quickly, not only do we miss really important stuff that will inform us, but we also feel pretty unsafe. In in doing that, we feel unsafe, we feel uncomfortable. It's um, there's a, a word in the therapy process, and this shows up not only in individual therapy, this shows up in COA classes as well, which is the container. Having a container to get to kind of swim around within and I know the parameters and know, okay, if I bump up into this edge over here that's going to feel like it's pushing me a little bit, but this is where I feel safe to kind of explore and move around. I think about it like a sandbox, Mm -hmm. right? With a kid that's in a sandbox, they can do all the things they want in that sandbox. They have this container to play and explore and whatever. And when they leave that container, right, it can feel a little bit confusing or uncomfortable when we, they try to bring sand outside of that Mm -hmm. container. Like, no, 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 we need the sand in the container because this is the safest place for the sand to live. And so therapy offers that container. Um, moving slowly offers that container. Um, starting and ending on time, even something as simple as time offers a container like that. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, and I love, okay, so I want to talk about so many other things about COA, but I also, I'd love to sort of hear any hot tips <laughs> hot tips on how to get the most out of therapy sessions. If if you're like just starting out with therapy, um, again, people love homework. (laughs) How do you, how do you sort of bring, bring your most authentic self to therapy and get the most out of it? So one of the places I would start in thinking about how to get the most out of a therapeutic experience, whether it's one-on-one individual therapy that you're doing, whether it's a work, an emotional workout that you're doing is A, recognizing that this is not meant to be a silver bullet quick fix, that we're, we are in it for the long game, that we don't want to, like you said, you know, dive down to the ocean floor because it's not going to be useful for us. It's not going to set us up for, for success. We need to equalize mm-hmm. and, and give ourselves the opportunity to honor that it took... 
30 some odd, 40 some odd, 50 some odd years for your stuff to build up, we're not going to, you know, rip that carpet out from underneath you in a day. It's not going to do you any favors. So, so understanding that it is a slow to build experience and that not every single session is going to feel super profound. Not every single session going into it is going to feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much to talk about. Oftentimes, like you mentioned, oftentimes people do come to therapy with, you know, a problem or an experience that they, they want to work through. They want to understand. And once they do that, they can be like, okay, well, I'm not really, they're feeling better. And they're like, I don't really know what to talk about. What I have found and what so many therapists have found is the richest, juiciest sessions start with, I don't really think I have anything to talk about today. (laughs) And the reason for that is oftentimes the deeper things that we want to understand about ourselves and we want to explore they take a little bit of time to bubble up to the surface. We actually need to give them a fair amount of space. And so when someone comes in to me and says, you know, Jamie, and this happened just last week in session with a patient, you know, Jamie, I don't really feel like I have a lot to talk about. It was a pretty good week. It was cool. Just giving a little time and space to sit in that. We ended up going in a whole direction of, oh my gosh, I didn't realize by the end of session, this person said to me, I didn't realize that this is what I was going to end up talking about today because giving it time and space allowed it to come to the surface. When we jump too quickly to fill space, we end up filling it with stuff that maybe isn't what we're actually wanting to dive into in that sort of way. Um, So giving it time, giving it space, You know, the other way to get the most out of therapy sessions, if you think about homework, I think about homework less as worksheet or as something to do and more as thought exercise. So if you talked about something with your therapist in one session, holding that in mind and kind of having an awareness of, huh, how does this show up to me in this week in between? And, and holding on to chew on and increase our awareness. Self-awareness is that first trait of emotional fitness. It's one of the most foundational traits of emotional fitness because being able to understand how we are motivated, what drives us, our triggers, our biases, what informs how we show up on, in the world, and then also how other people experience us, that's where a lot of things are game changers. And that's one of the ways we can get the most out of therapy is to create some space to be a little bit uncomfortable in that. Self-awareness doesn't always mean we feel really good about the things that we're starting to have an awareness of. Oftentimes, self-awareness is, oh, I do not super love that about myself, but we don't know what we don't know. And so giving ourselves the opportunity in therapy over time to allow those things to be revealed to us is what gives us that new knowledge base to to work off of in the here and now. Okay, so what I'm hearing is essentially like, it's it's great to come with topics and ideas, but also give yourself space um, to maybe let let things bubble. Um, Homework's not always the answer. And I I think that also Dr. Jamie speaks to um, the not silver bullet approach that COA has kind of at its core and also the clinical integrity that's that's really built into everything you do. Can you kind of speak to that and how you look at the world through the lens of COA? 
Yeah, absolutely. At Koa, we really lean into that this is meant to be a constant. This is meant to be a constant that we are always in process. That's that proactive, that's that ongoing that we're talking about here. And this sort of unique edge is while we give people actionable tools from classes, right? There are actionable tools that you take with you out into the world and you do them. We also recognize that it takes reps, right? If you do one push-up, you're not all of a sudden going to be able to do a hundred push-ups. It takes repping out push-ups or repping out whatever that work is to get stronger. So this is what I mean when I talk about not going with this like silver bullet, uh, quick fix approach. It is, oh, I got to put my reps in. So if I learn about the communication compass, a little teaser for folks, if I learn about the communication compass, I got to put my reps in and work that exercise through multiple times over and over and over again. So I'm strengthening my communication skills to then be able to more easily tap into those muscles when I need it, when a tough conversation comes up, when there's a conflict with my partner, my coworker, whoever it is, or something feels a little bit funky. Oh, now I have this thing that I can tap into, but it is not a one and done. So that's really part of how co-positions itself. The other part here that you mentioned is this clinical integrity piece of the COA ethos. So having classes and having our emotional fitness instructors that are licensed therapists and understand the nuances and the complexities of what can come up in an emotional fitness class. So if we are working on a trait like curiosity, for example. So curiosity is being able to pursue our own growth over those feelings of defensiveness that come up for all of us, very human to defend. Listen, I'm a therapist and I've been doing this work for a long time. I also get defensive, right? We all have that. And we defend ourselves for a reason. Um, But in working with something like that, there's some rich, juicy stuff. I'll also name full transparency. Curiosity is my all-time favorite trait of emotional (laughs) fitness. I think it is so rich. It's so juicy. It's so informative. And it's such an important muscle to impact and improve our relationships, our relationships to others and our relationship to ourselves. And so having licensed therapists who are leading these workouts understand that a lot can get stirred when we're talking about our defenses and we're starting to, you know, turn these rocks over and see kind of these different sides of ourselves and how we move through the world that they can guide you in a way that maybe someone without that therapist lens could guide. And so Mm -hmm. holding this sort of integrity, it also, you know, going back to what I mentioned about the container. So this example of starting class on time, ending class on time, so that whenever someone's coming to an emotional fitness class, they feel really held and they feel really seen, they feel really respected. And that's something that we want, not only out of an emotional workout, but your question about, you know, finding the right therapist for us, finding the right communities for us, we want to know that we're going to be seen, that we're going to be understood, that we're going to be listened to in our entirety. And having this this clinical lens of really what that means helps create that experience, that full experience that someone is allowed to show up as their full selves in any class. I I think it also speaks to like the benefits of 
a group experience as well, a group group therapy or group emotional fitness, you kind of, you have the benefit of obviously a leader who's asking probing questions and teaching you something along the way, but then you also have the other group members who act as a mirror to you. Uh, that's one thing I loved to editorialize here of my co-ed experience was getting paired up. I never had the same partner twice, getting paired up with someone to talk about what we'd learned, internalize it, discuss it, and then come back to the group with that. Yeah. One of the things I, you know, I would love to hear more about you mentioning that is what sort of new language you walked away with either by taking a COA class or by learning in community with someone and partnering up with people? Was there new language? Were there new concepts? Were there new sort of sentiments that now you took out of class and you're noticing since it's been a little bit since you've been in class, you're like, oh, this is something that I'm holding on to now that I'm utilizing. Yeah. So one of the one of the first things I actually did with the team at A Sweat Life coming out of COA was the emotional fitness survey. Um, I loved that survey. We were actually, Dr. Jamie, like, stop me if I'm getting it wrong, but the concept is essentially to intercept things that could go wrong at work um, and in interpersonal relationships before they do. So having people share like how they work best, how they focus, how they want to be corrected or given feedback um, before it comes to that, because those moments are sort of where the miscommunications can come up. And we were right uh, before we were bringing on a new team member. So it was the perfect time for us as a team to sort of send out the emotional fitness survey. We all filled it out. I've been using it constantly because now I know like one team member likes to not be included on unnecessary emails because it makes her feel like overwhelmed. There's another team member who likes to get feedback a certain way that I wasn't doing before. So now I I kind of have that tool in my toolkit and so does the rest of the team. That's such a beautiful example of both this muscle that you learned, oh, this is a muscle that I have that I can flex in a new way. And to share with our lovely listeners here, the muscle that you're talking about is empathy, the empathy trait of emotional fitness and how empathy isn't just about recognizing like, oh, you know, like I feel for that person, but I can feel with that person, right? The way that we understand empathy versus sympathy is sympathy is you know, getting what someone else is feeling. But if you're not feeling any of it yourself, that's not empathy. Empathy is really creating space to allow yourself to feel what someone else is feeling. And so in taking, you know, creating this emotional fitness survey, and we won't give too much away here to leave something to be desired. But in using this, what I hear and what you're sharing here is being able to recognize, oh, the folks that I work with have this need for autonomy, for social safety, for Mm -hmm. this sense of order, clarity, whatever it is. And by asking them how they work best or how they like to receive feedback, I can get a sense of how to best meet that need for them and really feel into what they're feeling when they say, you know, I would rather be kept off of these all company emails because that feels overwhelming for me. So what I hear and what you're saying is you can empathize with that overwhelming feeling because my best guess, tell me if I'm wrong, you've probably felt overwhelmed at some point in life. Once or twice. <laughs> Once or twice, maybe <laughs> yeah. like a little, little smidgy over yeah. this past couple of years, you felt yeah. some overwhelm. 
you know, so to have us all. Um, and so being able to, what you're describing is being able to connect with and really empathize with that feeling of overwhelm through really asking someone for what they need. That is flexing an empathy muscle. Yeah. And what, what I loved about it too, was that we, the, the lesson in it was also like, yes, be empathetic, understand what people are going through, especially when they tell you, but also like, you don't have to wait (laughs) until it's a problem. You can kind of like get in front of it and understand the needs that you have for autonomy, for social support, for all of that. And then also extend that over um, to your team members too. So that's- Absolutely. It's so much easier for other people and for ourselves to ask for what we need mm-hmm. before we actually need it and, and give voice to those experiences, those wants, those desires that also kind of hints a little bit at communication as a skill, being able to, you know, uh, communicate clearly our expectations, our needs, our boundaries, all of those sorts of things. So you also start to see here, just like in our physical body, the muscles, the traits of emotional fitness, they all play off of each other, right? Like you don't do a squat and work on your quads without also inviting your core into play, inviting your glutes into play, your calves are at at play. So everything is also interplaying on each other here. So if you're strengthening one thing, you end up strengthening a whole bunch of other stuff by proxy. Yeah. And and I want to jump into uh, women in particular um, and women as caretakers in in this unusual time. Um, But before we do, I'm hearing us talk a lot about work um, and um, emotional fitness at work, which I, I think is a really interesting topic because a lot of a lot of folks might not think about therapy and emotional fitness as something that we can bring into the workplace, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we can. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we hear, and I've worked with and continue to work with a lot of leaders, especially female identified leaders, um, and this idea that, you know, it's just business or I'm not supposed to bring my emotional self to work or people are going to think X, Y, Z thing about me if I have an emotional response. You know, there's all sorts of stigma around emotion in the workplace. But the myth that I very quickly debunk for folks is if you are bringing your brain to work, you are bringing your emotions to work. There's just no way to actually separate it. And I would also argue that we don't want to separate it. You know, we have emotional experiences and emotional responses to tell us something. Our emotions are communicating something to us about ourselves, about another person, about a situation or an interaction. And we want to create space for those communications and for those messaging so that we can inform ourselves in how to best move forward and how to best navigate any given situation that can come up in the workplace, you know, our personal lives and our professional lives often aren't so separate. And so in working with your original question and asking about, especially female folks in the workplace, female identified folks in the workplace, the challenges can be in terms of this caretaking that you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned using the emotional fitness survey and really flexing this empathy muscle because there is this messaging that female leaders get around how we're supposed to show up as empathetic, which is to caretake everything or to bend over backwards or to say yes, or, you know, not say no, because what is it going to be like? And maybe someone's going to feel like we're not caring for them. And, and this showing up in our personal lives and translating into our professional lives. And 
empathy as a trait of emotional fitness, as a muscle that we can tap into, isn't about agreeing with everybody all the time. It's not about not having conflict. It's not about bending over backwards. Really what empathy is about is connecting to other people in a person-to-person way that allows you to say, I see you, I hear you, here's how I can meet your needs in the best way possible. So, you know, we're not having too many balls drop in this way. And sometimes that means the answer is going to be no. And that being okay, but that can be really, really uncomfortable. So this kind of gets into some of the other traits of emotional fitness, like mindfulness and being more comfortable with discomfort and being able to, the example of saying no, find our voice in saying no and lean into that discomfort versus leaning away from it or avoiding it. And then we're, you know, on a straight shot to burnout because we're working overtime to caregive and say yes to everything because we're going to worry about what happens if we don't do that. And there's a little bit of this messaging around that I'm thinking of as we're talking about this here of I'll take care of you if you take care of me, right? Like scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And at COA, we actually flip that on its head and instead talk about I'll take care of me for you if you take care of you for me. Because when we are taking care of ourselves, when we are um, working on our emotional fitness and flexing our communication skills, when we're flexing our mindfulness muscle and doing these things for ourselves, it does have a positive impact on those relationships rather than this idea of shutting down those relationships or alienating those relationships, working on our emotional fitness, especially in the workplace when, you know, we're all remote and we're kind of disconnected, it actually invites a hell of a lot more connection, which is what so many of us are looking for and needing during this time. I really love that sentiment of the I'll take care of me for you and you take care of you for me. I I think that's a very powerful, universally applicable version of put your air mask on first, (laughs) um, which I super love. I think on Team of Sweat Life, uh, Kristen is our resident boundary setter. Um, whenever we talk about boundaries, we talk about Kristen. She's so good at setting boundaries and making sure like her emotional, physical, et cetera, her health is taken care of. Um, so I think Kristen, I, I hold her up on a pedestal for doing this very thing. Shout out to you, Kristen, using <laughs> flexing that communication yeah. muscle and the mindfulness muscle and the empathy muscle. Even when we think about, cause you mentioned the caretaker thing, we think about, you know, setting boundaries as we're worrying that if we say no to something, if we say I can't right now, mm-hmm. or I got to pass on this project, let's say that we are going to harm someone or harm the relationship. But more often than not, when we say yes, we actually get ourselves in a predicament where we're burned out or we can't focus or we're having a hard time completing it or we're resentful of the person, even though we said yes to something. And so having, you know, this resident boundary setter being a great role model in that way, I, I love to hear that because that's actually a pretty damn empathetic stance to take. And it's also really self-aware to know this is what I can and can't bring to the table right now. Knowing if I do say yes to this thing, this is going to be the impact and the result of it. Knowing if I say no to this thing, this on the other hand is going to be the different impact and result of it as well. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Shout out to Kristen. Um, I also, I want to cover language and finding a voice in a therapy practice. I, I think that's a really important piece of one, like starting your journey with mental health, with therapy, with maybe a group or a class uh, is language. So let's, let's talk a bit about like the language we learn and the voice we get through that language. Yeah, it's one of the things that, you know, I have come to really utilize over the years and and hone in on in my therapy practice with the patients I see also in my own therapy and finding the right language for myself when I, you know, go see my therapist. And what I really, really like about COA, and I'm seeing COA do in a different way, is offer language to put things that we've always sort of known about or known to be true, or maybe thought felt somewhere deep in us and then being given language to be like, Oh, this is what that is. Oh, this is how I can explain X, Y, Z thing to my partner or ABC thing to my manager or my parents or my friend or whatever, to the mailman, whatever it is, having language really gives us the opportunity to own ourselves in a new way. And when you have developed initial language, let's say, because we're all informed by our early experiences. So this kind of circles back to what I said earlier, that you've had 30 some odd, 40 some odd, 50 some odd, or 20 some odd, you know, all all of the age ranges, years of learning and existing in certain ways, shapes, and forms. And that language that we got early on in our life experiences, the people, the places, you know, the environments that we were around shaped us. And sometimes that can be beneficial to us. And sometimes that can be detrimental to us. And so we want to start to find the language that makes the most sense to us in the here and now, because we can take ownership of what we're needing, how we're showing up in our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people. And COA offers this languaging around, well, yeah, what does it mean to actually be a playful person, right? Why is play a trait of emotional fitness? Does play mean I'm just being goofy and silly all the time? Well, no, not necessarily. How we define and understand play, it's actually pretty serious business. Play is a really, really important trait to us in being able to learn and grow and evolve and be flexible. And, you know, Koa's understanding of play, we borrow from the improv world, which is Yes, and being able to meet someone where they are and build off of that together as a form of play, that language helps us understand, oh, this is so much more than just goofing around. This is so much bigger than that. And so finding this right language for us to recognize, yeah, why am I being defensive right now? Or why is it hard for me to um, overcome this challenge that I'm in? So I'm speaking to the emotional fitness trait of resilience, for example, finding the language for us to be able to recognize, oh, I'm in avoidance mode. Oh, I'm in stuck mode. Oh, play is hard for me because of perception or confidence or whatever it is. Having this languaging allows us to really recognize and speak to these parts of ourselves that don't often get a lot of voice and space. So when we can find that language, when we can start to speak to our experiences, we're no longer kind of holding them in this like secret, solitary, alone way. 
and we're able to share and we're able to connect around it and we heal through our relationships. So whether that's in an emotional fitness class in community, whether that's in relationship one-on-one with a therapist, being able to express ourselves, express our experiences, find the right language for us in connection to another person or another or other people's, it really allows us to heal in new ways. Language lets our shame out of the shadows. Sure does. Sure does. And other and other great things too. Um, and and I also I think one of the things um you were you were kind of speaking to there too, you can take into your into your practice with a one-on-one therapy relationship or in a group, like you can also select the language you're comfortable with when you're working with a therapist, right? In defining yourself, in defining what you've been through. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I really love in my own practice and invite in my own therapy practice with patients is asking if that language is right for them. If I, you know, speak to something or name something or suggest something asking, is that the right way to describe this? Like, am I I getting that right? And we can do that. We can say to a therapist, you know, I don't really think that's it. You know, you're saying, I don't know, resentment. I don't know if that's quite it. Maybe, oh, it's actually disappointment. It's not resentment because disappointment and resentment are two very different things. So if we think about the importance of language here, language, language gives us access to our fullest self in this sort of way. And so being able to give a therapist feedback on language is also a really empowering experience in and of itself. And therapy is a microcosm of all of our other relationships, meaning the ways that we engage in relationship in the outside world, it will find its way, those patterns will find its way into the therapy space. The unique thing about the therapy space is we get to practice. We get to play a little bit so we can try things on, we can take things off. So if you know something's bothering us that maybe we wouldn't say, out loud to our dad, dad, like every time you say this word, it's so irksome to me. Maybe we're not there yet, but we might say to a therapist, you know, I'm noticing like this similar thing that every time you say X, Y, Z, it is irksome to me. And we can say that because there is enough safety established in the relationship to explore in that way. And as we practice doing this sort of conversation in the therapy space and the safety of that space, we then start to take that experience into our outside relationships. Love it. Okay. So as we get close to the end of our time, I want to talk about your book, How to Adult, A Practical Guide. Um, and talk to me about why you wrote it, who it's for, um, and, and sort of your favorite parts of it. So this book was really written for folks. A lot of the work that I have done in my life is with folks who are in transition, especially the transition to adulthood. So maybe folks in their early 20s, things like that. However, I also recognize that so much of the work that I do now with older adults are still always asking this question, like, am I adulting the right way? How do I adult? What does it mean to be an adult? And what is that? So it's really this kind of playful take on what it means to be an adult, to live as an adult, to be in relationship as an adult, to engage in work and money and all these adulty things 
that, you know, you hit 40 and you're like, I should know how to do this by now. (laughs) Right. But like, no, none of us really know how to do anything. And we're learning all the time. Um, And so writing this book was really this opportunity to play with what it is to be an adult in this both earnest and um, talking about topics that are important and necessary in all of our, our adult lives, but in this really playful, I'm a pretty playful therapist, instructor, human out in the world. Um, And so doing it in this playful, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom sort of way. And so one of my favorite parts of it, um, if if any of your listeners have been to some of my Q&As, maybe you've heard me speak about this. One of my favorite parts of it is actually the the start of the, I'm giggling to myself because it makes me (laughs) giggle every time. One of my favorite parts is the start to the, you know, work. Uh, chapters and and sections and figuring out how to be an adult in the workplace. And the opening of it is a quote actually from my father-in-law. So Mm. George Carvalho, who that quote is from, is my father-in-law. And what he said is, you have to learn to get along with jerks. It's (laughs) difficult. And it makes me giggle. And I love it so much because it really, to me, speaks to what it means to just that's it exactly what it means to be in relationship to people being in relationship to other people jerks or not they might be people that we're so close and so connected to and just adore is difficult it's tough relationships are complex they come with i often say you know people will share oh it's so complicated i'm like yeah i don't know if it's so complicated. It's just complex. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of working parts. It can be really difficult. So when someone feels like a jerk to us, understanding certainly what is it about that person, but also what is it about us and what are they reflecting to us? You mentioned, you know, having things mirrored to you in class and your experience and what am I seeing reflected back to me? That's tough. And so it's kind of this cute way that, you know, when we move through the workspace, we get challenged by these interpersonal relationships in, in, in sort of new ways. And I think it's really fun to think about, yeah, you know, this is something that I'm going to have to learn to do. And it's okay that it's hard. It's okay that I'm going to disappoint people and people are going to disappoint me because that is an active part of being an alive human in relationships to other alive humans. Oh, I like that. That kind of gives you permission not to walk around thinking you have to say yes to everything too. 100%. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the summit. It is coming right up. We have some things to promote, and then I want to make sure you have time to shamelessly promote anything that you want to, Dr. Jamie. So, first off, um, the air date of this episode is just before the summit. So, coming up, coming at you, you can still sign up and join us. Um, Jamie will be leading, Dr. Jamie will be leading us through an intro to the emotional fitness traits, the seven traits uh, from COA, anything attendees or those who wish to attend need to know about that. So if you are listening and you're wondering, how do I like really kickstart my emotional fitness routine and regimen, this introduction class to the seven traits is going to tell you exactly how to do that. It is a nice sort of full body circuit type of class of going through all seven traits of emotional fitness. What exactly do they mean? How do we understand them? What are ways to work them out? in the here and now so we can take that and move through it in the rest of our day-to-day. I love it. And everyone who attends the summit will also get a complimentary COA class 
after the summit too. Uh, so look for that. I love it. I've talked about it to everybody. I paid for it with my own money. So I am not, I am not compensated to share this message. Um, and okay, Dr. Jamie, also coming up at COA, memberships will be available. Can you speak to that? Yes, COA is very, very excited to start to get into launching our gym membership. So with membership, having access not only to our trait classes, but also having access to on-demand content, whether you're looking to understand this idea of what the heck is languishing and why do I feel this way? How do I manage and regulate my emotions? Or there's political anxiety that we're experiencing and what do we do with that? Um, There's all sorts of great stuff that you're going to have access to with our membership. So I'm really excited to be able to offer just a fuller experience for folks to engage with their emotional fitness, to know how to build it uh, into their everyday process. Doing some emotional push-ups is a really fun thing. You can actually check that out right now. Later today, I'm uh, offering a 15-minute emotional push-up to check out what it means to actually do like a short, sweet workout. Today, I'm talking about combating procrastination, for example. And like, what is that actually about? What trait does that force me to flex? Um, so there's all sorts of good stuff that's going to come with membership and I cannot wait to, I'm so jazzed. So jazzed. I love it. All right. So shameless promotion time. Tell us where to find you, where to find Koa, uh, and anything else that's exciting, where to find your book. You can find my book essentially anywhere that most books are sold. You can find me really through COA in the biggest way. So joincoa.com or at joincoa to follow us on Instagram. You can also follow me at at Dr. Jamie Goldstein. I'm sure you'll see all the spelling for all of that good stuff in the show notes here. Um, You know, the thing that I am most excited about and looking forward to and can't wait to see y'all at not only is this summit because it's going to be sweet but also I, I really can't wait to see folks at the gym not only you know folks at the gym for mental health I can't wait to see folks in classes and work out with you and give you the tricks and techniques that you're looking for to you know really hone that curiosity muscle really hone that mindfulness muscle it's a pretty exciting time to be thinking about mental health because it's so necessary it's always been necessary but it's finally being given the spotlight and the center stage that it's been needing for so, so long. Um, And so being a part of that emotional fitness movement is pretty cool stuff. Thank you, Dr. Jamie. We'll see you at the summit. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of We Got Goals and a SweatLife.com production. Another thing that's better with friends. Listen to this podcast wherever you get yours. And if you love it as much as we do, rate it and review it. We love a good five-star. Thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing and Ryan Barayuga for editing the video version of the podcast that you can find on the Sweat Life's YouTube channel. Oh, and thanks to you for listening.